0: Hey folks! This week's topic is virtual SP work. We recorded this episode in October of 2021 and since then a lot of things have changed, including the return to in-person work. Woohoo! We are now hybrid with in-person and virtual work and things are a little different. So we just wanted to give you a heads up as this episode is not 100% reflective of the current state of the SP industry. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to the Standardized Patients Podcast. I'm your host, and Enneagram 7, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. So what's a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a part actor, part teacher, and part test proctor. Our guest today is Charlene V. Smith. Charlene is an actor and a director and a scholar specializing in Shakespeare and his contemporaries and feminist theater. She has been working as a standardized patient for 12 years at eight different schools or medical facilities across the D.C. Baltimore metropolitan region. Welcome, Charlene. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And it's always so interesting seeing the numbers, you know, 12 years at eight different schools. It's like, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it goes by quickly and it adds up.
0: Yeah. Was it weird doing the math for that or were you aware of it?
1: I was sort of aware of it. I've had to like think about it at other times, but I did have to like pull open my like employment resume to count up the number of places I've worked.
0: And so I want to touch base on on just a little bit of your bio, because Charlene really is a Shakespeare scholar. (laughs) Like that is is not just (laughs) words, but yeah, she is the the go-to person and- We'll talk at the end a little bit about uh, some of the, the projects that she's been working on, but she's had a wonderful company called Brave Spirits Theater. Been a, a really wonderful addition to the DMV area for so many years. But the way that I got to know you was actually as a standardized patient, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think so. I think that's where we met first. Mm-hmm. And then fortunately got to work together in the theater yeah. a couple times. And also, as it turned out, live relatively close to each other. So, so get to hang out socially as well.
0: Exactly. So yeah, we've got all the boxes checked, which is pretty cool. (laughs) And actually, if I'm remembering correctly, we met, it was sometime around the 2011 timeframe, give or take, maybe a little bit before maybe.
1: I'll trust your memory on that. (laughs) I guess I I didn't, I didn't sit down to kind of think about when, you know, the only way I would be able to figure out is if we, we talked about which, cases we did first and what version of them they were, you know, because some of our cases have changed a lot over the years. And so sometimes you have those moments where you're like, oh, I, I remember doing that case back when we wore a Band-Aid on our knee, which we haven't done in five years or whatever, things like right. that.
0: Yeah, that's how we date each other. It was like,
1: (laughs) like, oh, this case has been around for a while.
0: I actually think I was talking about one of those recently, being like, this case used to be eight cases and now it's five. But when I say cases, we are talking about standardized patient cases, characters that we've done and portrayed these characters many times. Many, many, many many times. Many, many many times. (laughs) Yeah. So, But what's interesting is that I got to know you through standardized patient work, but then you actually asked me to do a staged reading. It was a one day only thing for a um, festival. And so then I got to work with you very briefly as a director right away. And then we just, you know, we continued working together over the time. Charlene, what is it that brought you to be a standardized patient?
1: Well, it came through theater because I was doing a show and became good friends with another actress my age named Sonia. And she was involved heavily in standardized patient work. And at that point, I was working a full-time admin job that I'd gotten shortly after moving to the DC region that I took a 9 to 5 in order to sort of stabilize my finances when first coming here and find my grounding and figure out what this city was like and everything. And I was getting to the point 3 years in after living here that I was like, "Okay, I'm ready to take a leap and try to do theater more full-time and leave mm-hmm. behind the 9 to 5 and see what opportunities it provides." And Sonia found that out and she told me about standardized patient work, which I didn't know was a thing at that point. And Mm. and she told me this is something that a lot of actors do because it utilizes a lot of those skills and it's very flexible. And it really helps put together your budget, your life in this community. She actually introduced me to one of the bosses of a standardized patient program of one of the local schools at Sonia's engagement party. And so she was, (laughs) yeah, she was like, (laughs) oh, this is my boss at this job. Charlene's interested in getting involved and so she sort of linked me up and told me where to go and how to get interviews and that's how I started working at the first school in DC that I started working at. Oh I didn't realize that. As you start working at one you meet the other people who do the jobs and you hear about the other places that also book standardized patients and and you get on their radars and in their sort of rolodex and so then you start working at more and more of them
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like one feeds into another. Yeah. In very interesting and different ways. But yeah, it is once you get in, it's it's a great way to then keep that ball rolling.
1: I was told this is what actors in this city do to pay the
0: bills. Mm. Yeah, and that's fair, and that is very true as well. And yeah. here you are. Our topic for today is virtual SP work. Which, yeah, back when we first started standardized patienting, we did not do virtual SP work. No. It was no, that was not, not a really thing. thing. So, tell me, what is virtual SP work to you, and how has it impacted you? Let's say in the last year and a half.
1: <laughs> well, that's basically when it really started happening. Is that you know the pandemic hit. And suddenly everything shut down and all of our work that we had booked was canceled, particularly within the theater industry. We were all losing multiple streams of income at once. Mm. It was bad. It's still bad because many of those streams of income have not come back anywhere near the level they were pre-pandemic. But these schools and these training facilities still had students, still had incoming classes, and were trying to figure out what do we do? How do we pivot? The great pandemic word, right? How do we pivot? And so then they started exploring more and more online work because classes, obviously were all going online. And so it was like, well, how do we do this part of our programming online as well? And so basically they just started to figure out how do we transfer these cases to a Zoom encounter? Yeah. I think in some ways it's turned out to be a good thing because telehealth has also exploded in the pandemic. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that existed before, but really has become much more common. And I think that's going to stay. I think people would much prefer to not have to sit in waiting rooms and things like that unless it's necessary. And so I think a lot of our schools that we work at, these medical schools that we work with, have recognized that telehealth work and communicating with patients and diagnosing patients and doing that work. Over the internet is a part of the future of all medical professionals at this point. It's Mm -hmm. unavoidable. And so some of them have then looked to standardized patienting then as a way to continue to learn about and explore and grow in this side of the medical field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very well put. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and I think, you know, there was like a brief hiatus with some of the standardized patient work, but I think there were a couple of schools that really quickly jumped on to understand like, okay, here's how we can do this. We might need to change a couple of things. There were certainly some learning curves uh, and and things. But it worked out because you're absolutely right. I mean, I can speak for myself as a human. I've had a lot of telehealth visits, just not even as a standardized patient, but as Katie. And for things that you're like, oh yeah, I actually don't need to see the doctor in person if they're not doing a physical exam. If we're just talking about medication or something, that can be very easily, for the most part, done over a telehealth appointment or something about a follow-up, checking in. Mm-hmm. So I think there's actually a lot of value for doctors to do telehealth. And you're absolutely right. Nobody likes waiting in in a waiting room. So the fact that if you could be waiting, you're just waiting at your computer, drinking your coffee instead, or you don't even have to do much waiting because you know exactly what time to sign on. So,
1: And I think in some areas, it's going to become ubiquitous. Like I do all my therapy sessions via mm-hmm. telecommunications. You
0: don't have to be in the same room as that. If
1: yeah. everyone can yeah. hear
0: each other and see each other, then that's the thing that, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right that that has really solidified the future of telehealth And I think the future of telehealth in a standardized patient program, that even if and when, (laughs) I'd like to use the, you know, hopefully optimistic way of like everything coming back in person a lot, that we will still have that need to teach students how to work in a telehealth environment. Um, Yes.
1: And it's interesting, in hindsight, it's sort of weird... That it hadn't come up before. Like the closest thing is, I mean, you and I know that there was a telephone case that Mm -hmm. many of the schools would use. And that was sort of the closest they ever got to any sort of specific, not in person case training. Yeah. But I think you're right from here on out, even when we do go back fully in person, if that, I don't know. Right. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) it's hard to believe that will ever happen. It does seem likely that tele-standardized patient work will continue in some form, at least, as part of their education.
0: Yeah. The telephone case, Well, I never did, it was usually for, I think it was a male case during a big exam. But what would happen is the, the student would walk into the exam room, if I'm not mistaken, so they would be on camera and mic'd and they would answer a phone call. Yes. And the standardized patient would actually be in another room, usually in the medical facility, in a quiet, private, semi private room where they would be calling, video would pick up the students' side of it. I'm assuming they picked up some audio from the SP as well. I'm not sure how that worked. But and so there wasn't even a full video aspect for both sides to see each other. It was just vocal, which is fascinating. But so you're right. So basically all that to say, we now have done a ton of virtual SP work in the past year and a half. (laughs) Much of it has been really beneficial, I think, not only for our paychecks, but also (laughs) for student learning so they didn't have to miss out on their learning for the past year and a half. And also for the future teacher of telehealth and medicine. So I think all of those things have been beneficial in many ways, but there have been some <laughs> some moments. Um, and so let's go ahead and just get into this. There's a reason I asked Charlene to talk on this topic in particular, <laughs> because I witnessed one of the funniest moments in my SV experience I've ever seen was witnessing Charlene do a virtual encounter. I was an observer, during this. And sometime I would say last year that this happened. Uh,
1: yeah. Cause and- it was early pandemic. So of course, one of the difficult parts about moving all our work online is that we're all in our homes, which means that there are things that are outside of our control, you know? So like I live with a dog, so one of the things I always have to figure out is like, you know, when I'm in an encounter, I usually put up a virtual background so that they don't see the dog walking behind and ask me about my dog because the case I'm portraying may not have a dog. And that can actually matter. I always have to worry about, is the dog going to bark? And then whether I have to sort of be like, oh gosh, the neighbors are so loud, you know, <laughs> <and> <laughs> pretend that it's not the same room I'm in. So there's all these like environmental things that when we were in person are not an issue at all because we're in, usually in- a simulated hospital room. This was back, I I live essentially in a one bedroom apartment. I have, it's sort of like an open living space and then one room off to the side. It's a really small room. And at Mm -hmm. that point, that small room I actually used as my like office and had all my bookcases and my computer. It was a little tiny room and it was off to the side and I could like curtain it off. And Mm -hmm. I think at that point I could sort of set it up so that the dog would never walk into view because there wasn't room. For the dog to walk into view, okay, but still had a curtain up to hide all my books and things like that. But I remember, yeah, I, I can
0: attest there was a curtain there.
1: <laughs> and I live by myself in like a very quiet place. I'm in this middle of this encounter with a student doing the case. I don't even remember what case it was. Doesn't matter. And the student goes, "Oh, there's someone behind you," <laughs> <laughs> and my my heart almost <laughs> stopped because I don't live with anyone. And I wasn't like, you know, you can't see this on the podcast, but talking to Katie right now, I'm in a different setup where I'm actually, my computer is in front of my door, but it wasn't at that point. It was at the far corner. And so I was like, how could someone be in this building? And I didn't hear them come in. And, and also I was, this room is very small. So I was like, Oh my goodness. Is someone like, creepy like in this tiny room that I don't know about and you know it's it's funny that Katie was watching because all these things go through your head very quickly and anytime something odd happens in standardized patient work I mean it's similar to being an actor right you have part of your brain that's responding to that and another part of your brain that is focused on staying in character keeping your expressions what they should be. I feel like generally I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping my expressions neutral and not reacting to the funny things that can sometimes happen in this job to stay in character. But I'm pretty sure panic was visible on my face. <laughs> it, and it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I think the students saw it too because then afterwards, because I think there may have been some sort of feedback and they were like very apologetic for scaring me because I was terrified that someone was in my house. It turns out all it was, was I had like swiveled in my office chair and they had seen the headrest and thought it was a person in the background
0: but (laughs) like a shadowy figure is because this this headless I'm I'm looking at it right now and right now who I would never guess it would be a person behind you but it is high up like it's very close to your head which is lovely with a nice supportive chair but I think against (laughs) the the curtain itself yes and it kind of looked like a a shadowy figure (laughs) with a hat like it was it was very odd looking But when well, I guess
1: because it's it swivels, you can see movement like separate from my body, and so I can imagine that sort of catching (laughs) your eye, and you think there's someone back there.
0: (laughs) What I do remember is I just again I had the pleasure of of being able to witness this, and usually as an observer, you know, you're paying attention to the facts, you're paying attention to did this student ask this? Did this sp say this? You know, did the right information come out? It's a little. I don't know if you
1: talked it before, but we often, part of our job also involves observing other cases while they're happening as sort Mm. of quality control and to double check that, We're sort of grading students correctly or that we're also all portraying the cases in the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because of that, you know, I'm kind of paying attention to that, but not really carefully watching your expressions at this point. So I hear the student doctor say that, like, I'm sorry, is someone behind you? Is there someone behind you? I I think I see someone behind you. And that's when, of course, I'm sure everybody that was on the call looked up and (laughs) because I know you pretty well and I know your living situation, I thought, oh, (laughs) that's, that's concerning. And I started looking, I didn't see anyone behind you, but I did see, you know, and I I have to admit you, you had the panic relatively well. I think the best you could have, (laughs) but there was a moment where you kind of did a double take behind you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think I totally like did it like, what?
0: (laughs) And tried to, um, (laughs) and if I'm not mistaken, I believe this case, you actually did have a spouse, I could be wrong. I think
1: you may be right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what I think was was so humorous about it was the fact that no one actually was behind you. So <laughs> I knew that Charlene didn't have anyone that lived with her besides a dog. And I don't think the student was talking about a dog. And I think the patient did actually have a spouse that could have been, but maybe wasn't supposed to be home. So I think you then had to play it off like oh i wonder if that's my my spouse's home or or something and so to, that was like a real balancing act there of like covering the panic with <laughs> the yeah. thing but but it was it was very very funny and then especially when there was that time for feedback where the student was apologetic but what i thought was phenomenal about that moment is it actually brought uh, to light a very important i i think something that needs to be done if it's not already done at certain schools, which is we chatted about it during our debrief with the the full group of standardized patients and trainers. And it did come up that... It could be a beneficial situation for a SP to do a case where they're maybe in a domestic violent situation where there is someone in the house with them and they need to communicate to the student doctor that they're in an unsafe scenario without actually verbally saying it. Um, And I still think that that should be something that comes up for for universities in telehealth specifically so i thought that was a good (laughs) starting point for that conversation but but yeah so hopefully that didn't panic you for the rest of the day but i I imagine but
1: i do think it is the only time in 12 years of doing theorized patient where where i sort of broke character for a moment and i just (laughs) i just felt my heart jump out of my chest Because I was genuinely terrified for a split second.
0: (laughs) And understandably so. I think if that had happened to me, I would have felt the same way. I think we all would have. It was interesting that... To have so many people in that breakout room, you know, I think it was a student, it was you, it was me, it was, I think, multiple other SPs, maybe even other students. I'm not sure. But it was a decent amount of people that got to witness that scenario that probably wouldn't have been the case had it been just a normal SP encounter in person. And also that probably wouldn't have happened in person either, (laughs) most likely, unless it actually was a person behind you. But yeah, that truly was a very memorable and hilarious experience to to witness as an observer, <laughs> not to experience as the patient, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: well, it's f- funny when it's over. Yes, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Can look back and laugh.
0: <laughs> look back and laugh. Exactly. Exactly. So thank goodness it was fake. There's always room for humor in these situations. You know, the truth is that could happen, right? Like yeah. it could happen to a real patient in a scenario that there is someone behind them. That's scary. A real quick detour here. Many years ago, I... Performed at Bush Gardens, and all of the cast was performing on stage. We we're in the middle of a song, and we all see a member of the audience fall out of their chair, out of nowhere. And there was a whole moment where like we as the as the performers saw this person and had to figure out what we could do because the audience didn't see the person fall down. Now, luckily, it was only a matter of maybe 30 seconds before the people that were with her noticed and helped her out. But it's a, it's a weird scenario where you're like, I think I might need to break character even in the middle of a song to address something that's a health condition that's happening so anyway but some of the things that we've had to deal with with virtual beyond just the funny moments are also you know you mentioned in your explanation of what is a standardized patient you said you know it's a, it's an actor right um it's also a proctor yeah and so that has come to fruition very much for virtual work can you speak on that a little bit
1: when i was thinking about how i wanted to define standardized patient work I wanted to include that third bit because there is this weird side of it that is completely separate from what you do if you're acting in a play or a movie where you are trying to hold a checklist in your head Mm -hmm. whereby you're grading the students on what they remember to ask, uh, what exams they might perform, and also how they talk to you. You're also trying to remember If they ask a question this way, I'm supposed to give this answer. If they ask it this way, I don't give them that information. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain rigidity to that. So for me, I was like, there is this sort of test proctoring aspect to it, Uh where we're like, we are both administering and performing the test at the same time. That is amplified in a virtual setting because of the fact that we are all in these individual virtual rooms, if you will, as mm-hmm. opposed to when we are in person, and there is often a center with multiple exam rooms and a camera and audio visual system whereby our bosses or people specifically designated to be administrators can oversee an entire event. But in a Zoom or a WebEx or Google Hangouts or whatever mm-hmm. you're using, there is no hub for all of that. And so right. that has meant that the sort of timekeeping aspect And the recording of things has fallen to us as the standardized patients because they need timekeepers in every room because part Mm -hmm. of the, a lot of the encounters we do are specifically timed. Also ensuring even more accuracy when we, as the patients, talk about what happened in the room and what didn't in the room. Because when the students are being graded, if there is some sort of issue when we are in person, there is a video and audio record that can be consulted. Yeah. Um, to confirm or change if there's an issue with the grading. Through these systems, some schools have sort of figured out how to keep recording happening, but others, their systems do not allow for it. And so a lot of times now we have more people in a Zoom encounter than we would have had involved in-person encounter.
0: So it's <laughs> it's just a whole different ballgame in some way. Well,
1: and it's meant that we have had to take on a lot of technological responsibility as standardized patients, our job description has grown Mm -hmm. because we have to understand how Zoom works. Because if a medical student that we're meeting with is having a technical issue and we're in a testing situation, we have to have the ability to perhaps troubleshoot it to a certain degree Mm -hmm. and to try and get the encounter back on track. And so, you know, our brains were always split a little bit in this job and they become even more split (laughs) in our virtual life yeah. and I think I'm not the only person to have found that to be very difficult.
0: Yeah. And I think you know everybody has a different level of technicality that they're comfortable with just generally. So I think a lot of people whether they're very technically minded or not have had to learn a lot. And yes. it's interesting because I think we've all learned a lot probably you know everybody in during the pandemic but Early on, I think they were able to adapt to this was have a case where On purpose, some of the SPs didn't know how to connect. I think, you know, they were either like looking down or away from the camera or like- They were muted
1: or- Yeah, they were
0: muted or talking really low. And so the student had to tactfully work them through that. And that was a really fun one. I don't think I got to portray that. I think it was a certain age range that they were going for with that one. But it is actually true to life in many experiences. Um, We've all had that time where it's like, hey, Katie, you're on mute. Well,
1: (laughs) and and that case was- specifically treated as an actual telehealth encounter. I think one of the other things that's been tricky about all these virtual encounters is sometimes we're asked to pretend as though we're still in person with yeah. the student. and And I think that's very difficult particularly when it comes to what is perhaps the most important part of our job, which is training students on communication skills, that sort of feedback and conversation we have with them about how to talk to a patient and what their language and tone and posture and gesture and pace implies to a patient and how it makes the patient feel. Yeah. And you lose so much of that. It's a completely different mode of communication when you're on a computer screen. And so to try and be on a computer screen, but pretend you're in person and have to give (laughs) communication feedback as though you actually got to meet in person is rather unnatural. And I find very difficult, especially when you add in everything else we are doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Just regarding that, I mean, there are some of the things and this is things that people don't even realize sometimes is, you know, we've really focused a lot in the past on like eye contact when we're in person, body language, vocal presence and rapport and all that. And one thing we've had to really pivot on is eye contact in particular, because, you know, depending on where yeah. one's camera is on their computer or how they're using it, they're actually, they might be looking at you, but they're not actually looking at the camera. So it doesn't yeah, there look is- like they're looking. There's
1: at no actual eye contact. I think it's one of the things I've been struggling with in this version of doing standardized patient work. Not the lack of eye contact, but I often think that the thing I felt like I could be most helpful with in terms of talking about communication skill has to do with sort of touch or not touch and mm. proximity. Because I think I'm sort of very particular in the size of my personal space bubble. Mm-hmm. And so that was often something I could talk about a six inch Nearness difference would make me uncomfortable. Whereas, if someone was just sitting six inches further away, I would feel fine. Mm-hmm. And, like, those sorts of details was something I found I could talk about a lot because it is something particular to me. Other people, it's, it's not going to bother them yeah. at all, you yeah. know. And I lose the ability to explore that aspect of patient mm-hmm. communication when we're virtual to sort of explain that. You know, there are some people that are very comfortable with touch on the shoulder, on the knee, on the elbow, the arm, whatever, with someone they don't know. And other people, that's going to weird them out or they're they're going to need to know you better before they want you sort of doing comforting touch or something like that.
0: Absolutely, And I can speak to that specifically. Today, I did a case in person with a mask on where it was a very heavy case and they were delivering some bad news to me. And this oh. particular student who had to deliver the bad news, he actually pulled his chair Close to me, once he delivered it, gently and briefly touched my knee or my my leg and, you know, basically showed a sign of support, which I during feedback then was able to say, you know, that doesn't always work for people. I have to say in this particular situation, it did work for me and here's why. And so that is not possible over Zoom. It's not possible over WebEx. But what we can do over Zoom or WebEx or any of those virtual encounters is say, okay, here's how we can address. I'm going to write down some notes. So if you see me looking down, this is what I'm doing. There's still, you know, there's too close or there's too too far away. There's, can (laughs) you hear and see me checking in on those technical aspects? So there's some things that I think are still beneficial for telehealth. The students are learning and will definitely, I imagine, use as they continue their professional medical careers, like the student today, that they do get the experience back in person again to understand the other nuances and, or maybe they already have before the pandemic. So yeah.
1: Right. Because part of what we're teaching them is how to be present with another human being. They have, you know, anagrams and things like that for like how they're supposed to behave or how they're supposed to react or what they're supposed to, how they're supposed to communicate. And all of those are usually fantastic learning tools. Yeah. But ultimately you can't just check off boxes of communication. You can't just say the same thing to every patient. You have to be present to yeah. the moment. And Go with you it. have to be able to kind of take those forms you've learned and then fit them into real life situations rather than fitting real life situations into the forms.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much, Charlene, for being our guest today and talking on that. I think that was really eloquently put in so many ways. They can find you on Twitter at Charlene V. Smith, C H A R L E N E V. S-M-I-T-H Or uh, at your website www.charlenevsmith.com Two wonderful ways to find her One thing I definitely want to bring up Before we call it a day here Is something that you've been working on Really, really hard I can also attest to this (laughs) I have heard a lot about it Charlene was in the midst of Producing Shakespeare's Eight History Plays For Brave Spirits Theater Which I mentioned earlier When the pandemic Shut the project down Unfortunately But the performances Have actually been reimagined As audio drama Which will be released in episodic form. So make sure to check out www.bravespiritstheater, B R A V E S P I R I T S T H E A T R E dot com. <laughs> yeah, that's wow, I feel like I'm spelling <laughs> me to stay up to date. Or find the company on social media with the same name. I know they put a lot of work into it. Oh my goodness. And it's a really, really cool project. So if you like Shakespeare or are interested in checking out those productions in an audio drama format, all eight, all eight of the history plays. That's pretty cool. Check that out. And we will link to all of this in our show notes as well. So thank you, Charlene. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> it was great to be here. you will come back anytime. And you can find us, our podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Standardized Patients Podcast. Thank you as always to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, Mr. Garita. And you can find their music at Art List. Thank you, as always, to our lovely Catherine Babalek for behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and our cover art. And that is our show today. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work.